welcome back to Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. I'm Ashley. And I'm Mallory. And today is the day (laughs) we have been waiting for. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) OMG. We're very excited. Mallory is going to be sharing her, what, 32 pages of Mm -hmm. research that she has done for the Murdoch family murders. I think I've set a record with the length of number of pages for notes. You have. You definitely have, because Scott Peterson was 25 pages, and you've (laughs) did quite a jump from that. Yeah. That's an extra, I don't even know how long of content. That being said, we're going to split this into two episodes. Yep. So we're going to tell you some stuff today and some stuff next week. Yep. But we'll go ahead and we'll try and record it all in one go. We'll see what happens. But yeah. Yeah. We're not going to be doing too much chit chat in the beginning because we just have a lot to cover. But I just wanted to say thanks to everyone who sent us kind comments on our last episode. Yes, was, thank you. It was definitely one of my favorite ones that we've ever done. Yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> yeah, and it was so like off the cuff. We didn't even know we were going to be doing that till the day before. Yeah. So that's how good we are. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I'm extremely nervous to do this episode. <laughs> Well, you've spent like a month working on it. Yeah, pretty much. But it was crunch time this week. (laughs) Yeah, well, a lot happened this week. So That is true. So real quick, our drink of the night is called a papaya smash. I'll just go ahead and tell you because initially I wasn't intending to split this up into two episodes. And the reason for the drink is going to come up in part two. Another word for papaya, if you don't know, is a pawpaw. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a lot to explain, kind of. And I have like some video with it too. But basically, during Alex's trial, he all of a sudden started to call his son pawpaw, even though he had never called him pawpaw to police or anybody else. So, anyways. <laughs> yes. So, if you're familiar with the trial, you will know why. Yeah. A pawpaw is relevant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you watch that, you'll know. So yeah, I'm going to jump right into it because we got a lot to cover and it's almost an hour after Ashley got here and we both have to get up in the morning. (laughs) These pawpaws didn't make themselves. No. All right. So tonight I am going to need you to take your Adderall and pay attention because there is a ton to the story I'm going to tell and take it next week too. (laughs) I'm not going to be able to tell you everything I want to tell you because there's just so much information. So I'm doing my best to give you a thorough overview. And like I said, we're splitting it up into two episodes. So I've got a good amount of information still. So as we mentioned last week, I'm covering the Murdoch family murders. But I think to somewhat halfway understand the events that are going on today, we need to take a look back to the beginning of this dynasty of a family. So most of you are probably at least somewhat familiar with the name Alec Murdoch. His grandfather, Randolph Murdoch Sr., was born in 1887 in Varnville, which is in Hampton County in South Carolina. Or as you will hear it referred to a lot as the Low Country, which Mm -hmm. is why there's an HBO documentary named The Low Country. Right. Just after the turn of the century, Randolph Sr. was well on his way to creating a Southern legal dynasty. Fresh out of the University of South Carolina School of Law, he founded his own law firm, at first a one-man practice in 1910. 
Local lore and family legends say that he never put a sign with his name outside the Hampton Law Office because everyone in town knew where the Murdoch Law Firm was located. Randolph Sr. even served as the town of Varnville's official town attorney for a fee of $25 per year. Isn't that crazy? $25. Mm -hmm. In 1920, Randolph Sr. became the solicitor for the 14th Judicial Circuit, which is a five-county area of South Carolina's low country that ranges from the rural swamps of Colleton County to the resort beaches of Hilton Head Island. It was a position that would stay in his family's control for almost 86 years with few opposing them in district elections. That's crazy. That's like Glenda Mitchell. No. Glenda Mitchell? <laughs> Why do I see her name everywhere? Yeah, she's, if you don't know, she has billboards literally up and down every road ever in the <laughs> In our area, yeah. <laughs> um, wasn't there a TikTok that was like, did, did you send me that? Yeah. I think you sent me that. I can't remember. Glenda. <laughs> Just tons of Glenda Mitchell. <laughs> his son, Randolph Jr., and his grandson, Randolph III, would continue to hold that office and prosecutorial power over the territory for three generations in all. During that rapid rise to success, wealth, and legal power, Randolph Sr., like the generations that would bear his name after him, became a prominent and popular man in his hometown and district at least among those he deemed on the right side of the law. His name peppered the society pages. His comings and goings, appearances at garden parties, family trips were in the freaking newspapers. Even his wife's bridge party and flower judging made the papers. Wow. <laughs> it's just, how would you feel having all your business in the papers for everybody to see. I feel like people that happens to are usually a part of why that happens. They probably That's like, true. here's some photos of our bridge it, party. It does seem like every person in all the generations of this family really like, mm -hmm. they like the to power be in the they spotlight have. and yeah. like people need to know their name. Yes. Yes. But it is quite impressive like how far back the I name know. goes and how like everyone is in law. Yeah. It's interesting. It I don't is. know. I, I know. He was involved in all matters of local and state affairs. He was credited with helping to pay for the clay to build a road from Hampton to nearby Fairfax, and he even briefly published his own newspaper. The making of the fearless, talented Murdoch legal legend began in the courtrooms. Randolph Sr. was not afraid of high-profile cases that reached beyond the bounds of humble Hampton County, a county of roughly only 25,000 people at the time. He once represented one state governor and later prosecuted another. During that trial, he made the governor stand in the prisoner's block while the indictment was read, which was an early example of the colorful courtroom theatrics his family successors would also use. Mm. In other cases, he indicted bankers, convicted corrupt preachers, and packed courtrooms during murder trials. All the stars seemed to align for this rising Southern lawyer. Quote, Grand Jury Lauds Murdoch. I had to look up what Lauds means. What does it mean? It means praise. Praises. Oh. <laughs> that was a headline in the February 28th, 1940 Hampton County Guardian. And then re-endorsed for re-election was another headline. But despite all that tragedy 
was bearing down at high speed on Murdoch and his family. Oh. Randolph Sr. was leaving a late night poker game around 1 a.m. on a Friday, and his car stalled on a railroad track. Oh my God, I didn't know this. Yeah. The Hampton County Guardian, his hometown paper, stated simply that he was returning from a late visit with friends in Yamasi. That's a city or town somewhere over there. I'm sure I said it wrong. And there was no court in session that day. A westbound C and WC freight train plunged ahead in the night. Randolph Sr. lifted his hand and waved at the oncoming locomotive, but the headlight beams drew closer, brighter, followed by the sound, the steam, the shaking rumble. (laughs) Then the light and sound and speed overtook Randolph Murdoch Sr. (laughs) Oh my God. So he just thought like, I'm a Murdoch. This train's going to stop if I wave at it. Like get out of the fucking car. That's what I don't understand. Get out of the car. Yeah. You're just waiting. Get out of the car. What are you doing? That's crazy that he waved at it. Like, yeah, Murdoch here. Oh my God. Murdoch here, you better stop. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the man of the law. (laughs) Engineer W.W. Bartlett. People had the weirdest names back then. It would go by like (laughs) W.W. Walt Whitman. Yeah. Walter White. He testified that he did not see the car near the tracks until about 40 yards away. And that Randolph Sr. had his hand raised as though waving at the train crew. But when the train drew closer, he said the car started up and then stopped directly on the tracks. What? Yeah. So I don't know. (laughs) On July 24th, 1940, the Hampton County Guardian reported that, quote, the impact hurled the automobile approximately 900 feet up the track, totally wrecking it. And Murdoch's body was found beside the track approximately 150 feet from the crossing. Oh, my God. Randolph Sr. had been suffering from health problems since 1939 and had just been released from the hospital in April. Local historians have wondered if his health was a factor in this accident. Despite there being no evidence of the cause of Randolph Sr.'s car stall, locals and historians have also wondered and speculated if alcohol was involved in the crash. Historical records and newspaper accounts don't really give us any firm clues as to if that was the case, though. Some people have even hinted at suicide, but again, we don't know. The Hampton County Coroner's jury simply ruled the death an accident. The public would likely never know the exact contributing cause of this collision, but the Murdoch family had a suspicion, one that they would later take to court. Within a week of the fatal 1940 train crash, the 14th Circuit had a new solicitor. And guess what? It was his son, (laughs) as Mm -hmm. I said. This was Randolph, or as he was called by everyone, Buster Murdoch Jr. Where does where does Buster come from? I don't know. I'm hmm. trying to think of what Buster like is that because you know like if some people are named like Trip, then yeah, it's or like Trey. their third, yeah, or Trey. I don't know if Buster's a junior thing or what. I'm not Maybe. sure. It could be. Hmm. Yeah. He would continue to grow the Murdoch family legacy and fortune. He would start by taking legal revenge of sorts for his father's death. And just as a side note, I'm going to refer to him as Randolph Jr. Because there's another buster in the story and I don't want to confuse everybody. 
So the historic Charleston and Western Carolina freight line is an ancestor of modern day CSX transportation. Prior to his death, Randolph Sr. had taken on the railroad company a time or two, but history does not suggest that this was a major focus of his practice. But that changed for the Murdoch family and its law firm in the decades after his untimely death. According to the Hampton County Court of Common Pleas records, on October 1st, 1940, Randolph Jr., as an executor of his father's will and estate, filed a summons and complaint against the Charleston and Western Carolina Railway Company. The lawsuit brought action on behalf of Randolph Sr.'s widow, Mary Murdoch, and her children for the, quote, wrongful death of said Randolph Murdoch Sr. The suit alleged that the train was traveling from Yamasi, I'm just saying it that way, sorry guys, to Varnville, quote, at a high rate of speed, and failed to blow a whistle or ring a bell at the Camp Branch Crossing. The suit also alleged that the crossing and its approach, quote, was in a rough, washed out, and dangerous condition, and Murdoch's view was obscured by trees and tall underbrush on that foggy night, placing him in, quote, sudden imminent peril. Randolph Jr. demanded a judgment of $100,000 for the death of his father. Court records filed on September 22, 1941 state the case was settled, but the amount was not disclosed. Randolph Jr. remained the solicitor for the 14th District until 1986. In his 46 years in office, he ran opposed only twice. He was known for his love of chewing tobacco, his courtroom prowess, and his flair for acting out murders before juries. Oh, okay. He was a legend, a bigger-than-life presence. He had a booming voice that could cycle through the range of human emotions, and like a master dramatist, he could make jurors' imaginations run wild with the horror of the crime. Once in a murder case, he drew an imaginary box with his finger in front of the jury box and said, This is where Johnny is laying in his grave right now. And when the jury came back with the guilty verdict, they all avoided stepping on that imaginary box he had drawn. <laughs> he sounds like a preacher. Yeah, he does. That's what I thought of, too. He was a win-at-all-costs solicitor. He cared about getting convictions in a capital case, and he did not care if it was reversed on appeal. He repeatedly did things he had to know were improper, primarily in his closing arguments where he could not keep himself confined to the rules. The South Carolina Supreme Court criticized Randolph Jr., who sent 14 men to death row for egregious jury arguments in several death penalty cases, and he once found himself in criminal trouble. In June 1956, Randolph Jr. was indicted by a federal grand jury for allegedly telling a local bootlegger to move his whiskey still to nearby Colleton County so he wouldn't be arrested by local police. He resigned his post for several months until a jury acquitted him of the charges, and he managed to continue holding the position after. The family's law firm, though, appears to ignore those several months that he was out of office facing criminal charges. Oh, my God. It still claims the Murdoch family's 85 consecutive years as solicitor of the 14th Circuit, mm -hmm. saying that it's one of the longest consecutive terms for a family holding that office in the country. So they're just going to sweep that under the rug. Yeah, obviously. Several Hampton County residents knew that Randolph Jr. could look the other way. I'm going to read a quote, and it calls him Buster, so just this is who we're talking about. 
quote, as a little girl, I remember daddy saying, go to Buster Murdoch. He'll make it disappear. It was always that good old boy system. Mm -hmm. She spoke to a news source on the condition of anonymity for fear of retribution. In 1969, a South Carolina blue law prohibited sporting events on Sunday, but a much-anticipated golf tournament, the Heritage, had already been scheduled on Hilton Head Island. Randolph Jr. vowed to look the other way and allowed the tournament to continue. <laughs> Anything for golf. Anything for, I know, it seems so dumb, but it's still, you're not supposed to do that shit. <laughs> no basketball, but golf's good. <laughs> I feel like that's the only sport people play in that area of the world Golf. if you're rich. Yeah. yeah. Randolph Murdoch Jr., who was solicitor for 46 years, died in 1998 at the age of 83. Randolph Jr.'s son, Randolph Murdoch III, was born October 25th, 1939 in Savannah, Georgia. He took over the position of solicitor in 1986 when his dad retired, and he married his wife, Elizabeth who went by Libby Alexander in 1961, and they had four children. Oh, Lynn Goatee, Randolph Murdoch IV, Richard Alexander Murdoch, and John Marvin Murdoch. These names will come up a lot later, since uh, most of our story is about Mr. Richard Alexander Murdoch. There's not a whole lot of drama surrounding Randolph III, surprisingly, <laughs> and... This is just what his online biography says. Randolph III was sworn in as solicitor in January 1987 and held the office until 2006. While solicitor, he served as lead prosecutor in over 200 murder cases. Randolph III earned a reputation as a formidable prosecutor in the courtroom, but he is more proud of the reputation he earned for caring about the people he prosecuted and helping people to turn their lives around. Hmm. Before and after his tenure as solicitor, he was an attorney with the law firm of Peters, Murdoch, Parker, Eltsroth, and Dietrich. Pimped. God. I know, that's what I read every time, which is shortened to P-M-P-E-D, or what I read in my head every time, pimped. <laughs> or pimped. Which, which is the same law firm that Randolph Sr. started in 1910. And obviously they've changed names as new partners came into the business. And hopefully they've renovated their offices, which are all... Yeah, it's that wood paneling. Yeah. <laughs> I like... just wanted to say really fast, I think Alec looks a lot like his great-grandfather. Like, I don't see the resemblance between him and his dad. But his, I don't either. Him and his great-grandfather look I thought very the similar. same thing. I thought the same thing. I was like, he does not really look like his dad, but he does. There's still family resemblance there. Mm-hmm. And I will venture to say that his dad was not a good egg. <laughs> I will also agree with you. Okay. <laughs> Randolph III practiced at the family firm's Hampton office with his sons, Richard Alexander or Alec Murdoch and Randolph or Randy Murdoch IV. Randolph III died at his home on June 10th, 2021, just three days after his daughter-in-law and grandson were brutally murdered. Mm-hmm. But we will get to that. There is still a whole lot more to unpack. <laughs> what is he wearing? Oh my god. It's like some 1700s shirt. I don't know. And his hair. I don't know if this is like his senior picture. This it looks is... like a senior picture because you can see the girl with the... 
Oh, yes. I don't know why they made us all wear those. That's so weird. I've got a yearbook photo of Alec up here, and he's wearing, like, the biggest bow tie mm-hmm. and the most frilly shirt that I've ever seen for a suit. And the most directly in the middle part. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even notice that. His head looks like a walnut. Ugh. It's <laughs> like a dickhead. That's actually more <laughs> accurate. All right. So Richard Alexander Murdoch, or Alec, was born on May 27th, 1968, to Randolph Murdoch III and his wife Libby. He graduated from Wade Hampton High School and continued his studies at the University of South Carolina, where he got a bachelor's in English and speech communications, and then he got his law degree in 1994. He married Margaret, who goes by Maggie, Kennedy Branstetter, in 1993, and they had two sons, Buster, whose birth name is Richard Alexander Murdoch Jr., and Paul. After graduating from law school, he practiced for a short time at Moss and Coon in Beaufort before joining his family practice, PAMPT, or P-M-P-E-D, in Hampton. As a lawyer, Alec represented injured persons in all areas of personal injury law, including trucking cases, products liability, and wrongful death. He served as a part-time prosecutor for the 14th Judicial Circuit, which was, as I explained before, a position held by his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather for almost a century. Alex is... Alex. It's going to be hard because I wrote it as Alex and obviously the way he spells his last name. So I'm going to have to read it differently. Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to go with Alec or Alex. Oh, Alec. Because everyone calls him Alec. Yeah. But there are people that are like, it's Alec. I'm like, that's a southern accent, my dear. Yes. Yes. You don't have to pronounce it like how a southern person would. Right. Well, he, Alec himself says Murdoch for his last name. I'm not going to say Murdoch. That's how a southern person would say it. Exactly. I'm saying it in my own accent. Okay. (laughs) was Alec Murdoch for the rest of this episode and the next one. So this man has more than 100 criminal charges as of right now. And I don't think you rack up that many criminal charges if you're innocent, in my opinion. Mm -mm. From 2011 to 2019, he failed to report $6,954,639 of income earned through allegedly illegal acts. He was indicted on nine counts of willful attempt to evade or defeat a tax and owes $486,819 in state taxes. Each charge of willful attempt to evade or defeat a tax is punishable by up to five years in prison and or a fine of up to $10,000 plus the cost of prosecution. Alec is also a money thief. Attorney Justin Bamberg represents eight people from whom he says Alec Murdoch stole money from while serving as their lawyer. He later said the total number of Murdoch victims may be between 30 and 50, and the total amount stolen could be as high as $20 million. What the fuck? <laughs> I always heard 10. I, I, well, I found one source that said 20. Oh, <laughs> I don't my know. God. I mean, I don't. Like, I can believe that based on what we know. I think we know of, like, eight point something million. I think this attorney is just saying it could be higher, much more than that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And all of these people he stole from were 
Well, most of them were victims. Yes, and I'm about to tell you about some of them. Oh, man. The first case involved Gloria Satterfield, who was Alec Murdoch's housekeeper. On February 2nd, 2018, emergency services were called to the Murdoch's property to attend to Gloria, who required medical attention after appearing to have fallen down. And I have a 911 call for you. 
Ma'am, can you stop asking all these questions? I already, have them on the way. I already have them on the way. Me asking questions does not slow them down in any way. These are relevant questions that I have to ask for the ambulance. One of my questions is, has she ever had a stroke? I don't believe she's ever had a stroke, not that I know okay. that. Okay, is she able to talk to you guys at all, or is she unconscious now? She's not unconscious. She's just mumbling. Okay. I believe she's maybe hit her head and had maybe has a concussion or something. Okay. Maybe. Do you know what her name is? Gloria Satterfield. You said Sanderfield? Satterfield. Okay, what's the house look like out there? I stressful. <laughs> I know. I had heard, I hadn't heard that much of the call, but I had heard that Paul had gotten her up and she fell again, mm-hmm. but I hadn't ever heard it like happen on the phone. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So basically, if you couldn't understand, you can hear Maggie describing to 911 what happened to Gloria? She fell and hit her head and is now bleeding from the top of her head and out of her ear, which is never a good thing, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's always bad. You can hear Maggie get impatient with the questions that the 911 operator is asking. And then Maggie and Alex's son, Paul, is the one in the background holding Gloria up. And then she falls again. When Paul comes on the phone, he gives the woman more grief for asking questions, but then he eventually complies and gives her the information she needs. So as far as could be ascertained at that point, she had tripped over the family's dogs on the stairs, fell backward, and hit her head violently. She was taken to the hospital where she remained unresponsive until the day she died on February 26, 2018. That is 24 days in the hospital. Oh my god. Do you think that Maggie gave the phone to Paul because Alec was there and she was talking to him? I don't know, because I still don't know what my opinion is on this this mm-hmm. particular incident. Well, I do lean towards one. Yeah, I don't if you're transferring a basically unconscious person to somebody, wait until they have them to drop them. Don't just drop her. Right. It's more like Paul's fucking mistake. Oh, my God. Um, Oh, man. So, like, yeah, on the surface, Gloria's death is a tragic accident. However, some of the circumstances preceding her death cast suspicion on the family. It was reported that Gloria found drugs taped Mm -hmm. to the underside of Alec's bed and then allegedly told Paul about it because she was, quote, scared to go to Maggie with what she had discovered. So it's been speculated that either Paul or Maggie pushed Gloria down the stairs and that her death was not an accident, but we have no evidence of this. But that is an opinion. But (laughs) I... There's a a motive. (laughs) Yeah. The whole, like, the way it coincides with her finding the drugs, basically outing him to Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh my God, I don't know. Interestingly, Alec reportedly intended to sue himself for Gloria's wrongful death since the family's dogs were the presumed cause of the accident on his property so that her two sons would receive financial compensation. However, Gloria's family stated that they did not receive any kind of settlement and her sons did not even know about it prior to reading about it in the news. What Alec did do, however was collect approximately $4.3 million in commercial insurance 
following Gloria's death on his land. That is wretched. Absolutely horrifying. Oh my god. I was gonna say. So when this fall happens and she dies, Alec told her sons that they just needed to sue him and he would give them money. Yeah. Why did he have to have them sue him for him to give them money? Couldn't he have just given them money? He could have just and given them money. And then his insurance wouldn't have been affected. Yeah. The thing is, he wouldn't be able to steal from them that amount of money right. if he had just done that. Yeah. He's a piece of shit. Like, he came off as such a good person saying, like, you need to just sue me. I will yes. take care of you. When he could have just given them some money, he needed more money. Like, he needed... Yeah. Um, millions of dollars. So he was like, okay, well, you're suing me. Here's your money. When it wasn't, like, nearly nothing. Yeah. And he took $4 million. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, that's a motive, man. That's exactly, exactly. That's why I lean, yeah, towards it was not an accident. I mean, we can never say for sure, but like, sounds to me. Well. A little, little messed up. Yeah. Yeah, the Satterfield family's attorneys eventually concluded that Alec had stolen this money, which should have gone to their clients. But Alec has now apologized. Oh, good. <laughs> Everything's okay then. For what that's worth. Yeah. I don't remember putting this in here, but it says, and he officially agreed to a $4.3 million settlement with Gloria's surviving relatives. And I did hear Gigi talk about this on the podcast. She said that the two sons are going to be taken care of. Mm. Oh, yeah. So... Our next victim is Hakeem Pinckney, who was a deaf African-American man involved in a 2009 traffic accident that required permanent life support. Alec personally represented the Pinckney family in a lawsuit against the manufacturer of the tires on the vehicle. The family was awarded a settlement. In 2011, Pinckney died at a care facility after his ventilator was, according to a Pinckney lawyer, quote, mysteriously unplugged. I have never heard of that. Oh my god. Yeah. Somebody unplugged him. They don't know who, but someone unplugged him. Um, does that <laughs> happen often? Like, what? I have heard of, like, at work I'll have donors who un intubate themselves but if you're on that level of life support you're not responsive so you couldn't do it yourself mm -hmm. i have never heard of an accidental unplugging <laughs> like a power outage or something i don't know what they mean by unplugged maybe they do mean something powered oh maybe the breathing machine yeah the be. breathing machine yeah <sighs> oh yeah it says ventilator yes it was a ventilator Alec's law firm handled a wrongful death lawsuit against the care facility. Alec allegedly introduced Pinckney's family to Russell Lafitte, the CEO of Palmetto State Bank, to manage the Pinckney finances due to the size of settlements. The Pinckneys received some money, but an estimated $800,000 to $1 million went missing. 
In January 2022, the board of Palmetto State Bank fired Lafitte after allegations came to light that he was involved with Alla to defraud Pinckney. There's something else he was involved with Lafitte, where he stole some money and like created a bank account and then wrote a check to that bank account, but it was the name of a different company, so he made it look like it was going to oh, yeah. a different place or whatever. The Forge account thing? Forge, yeah. But I didn't put that one in here for some reason. I forgot about it. Blondell Gray, another victim, was killed in an ambulance crash in 2012. Oh my god. I know. That's awful. Gray's family is owed in excess of $112,000 and the money was stolen by Alec. I don't have a slide for the rest. These are just like small other ones that I don't have. There's not like any news about them really. Another one was Sandra Taylor, who was a Beaufort woman who was killed by a drunk driver in Colleton County in 2019. And then indictments show Alec reportedly told Sandra's mother that she would only receive $30,000 as a settlement when that figure was really supposed to be over $180,000. Oh my god. And there are many more victims. Many more. But the worst thing about this is he always stole from people that needed it. Yeah. Much more than he did. Weren't there some children who were in an accident and whose parent, like their mom got killed and... Oh, I'm not sure. There was something like that. And oh my God, it's so terrible. It's awful. Yeah, you'll see by the end of these episodes that Alec will stop at nothing to steal from people. He would even go as far as sacrificing his own life for money. Mm -hmm. So Alec claims that he stole all this money for an addiction to opioid pills. In his testimony in court for the case he's, well, not currently anymore, but was just tried for, Alec says he believes his addiction stemmed from surgery he got for an old college football injury. He said he needed a few surgeries, and he started getting addicted to hydrocodone around 2004 before moving on to oxycodone around 2008. He said, quote, My addiction is to opiate painkillers, specifically oxycodone and oxycontin. He said it just escalates. He admitted to having taken up to 60 pills in a day. That's not no. possible. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Die from less. Like, what? I mean, I know you build a tolerance to right. it, but 60 fucking pills in a day? Well, it depends on what milligram. I forgot what milligrams he said he was taking. I can't remember. Anyway. It, well, I feel like it's been concluded that it's not possible. Yes. Like the amount of money so. that he was stealing and the amount of money that he had lost due to his opioid addiction, according to him, and the amount of medicine that he was taking, it's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah, so Alec explained that over the years he had built up a tolerance to the opioids, which led him to take an increasing number of pills to feel the same effects. And he said that the pills made whatever he was doing more interesting. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Currently, Alec has been to a detox facility three times, and he's been drug-free for, at the time he said this, 535 days. And he's very proud of it. Let's take a break. Okay. For this episode. Okay. And we'll be right back. See ya. Okay, we are back. So let's move on to another fun story. 
We're going to rewind a bit. Alec Murdoch isn't the only member of his nuclear family to have a black mark on his name. Before I give too much away, let me tell you the story of Stephen Smith. Stephen Smith was studying to be a nurse at the Orangeburg Calhoun Technical College, hoping to eventually become a doctor. On July 8th, 2015, he was on his way home from school when he ran out of gas. His car was found down a dark rural road in Hampton County, South Carolina, with the gas cap off. That looks like a Chevy Volt, is it? I don't know. I, I don't know why, but I, I kind of like that car. <laughs> <laughs> do you like the yellow, too? Yes, I do. <laughs> That's funny. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm really into yellow lately. Oh, wow. You're so, ready for and spring. And you're wearing yellow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Three miles away from the car, Stephen Smith's body was found in the middle of the road with no skid marks or other physical evidence that a car had hit him. A special accident investigation team looked at the case and determined that it was a homicide, but the coroner disagreed, saying he likely died from being hit in the face by a mirror of a passing car. Hmm. If he was hit... By the mirror of a passing car, there would be blood splattered. There would be maybe some teeth on the road. Yes, there was not none of that. There would be like scrapes on his face. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Michael Duncan, a retired corporal who was part of the accident investigation team, said, quote, it definitely was not a hit and run. He had blunt force trauma and it seemed to be an intentional act, which we consider homicide. Eric Bland, who is an attorney involved in several cases connected to Alec Murdoch, said the scene didn't fit with what the Smiths family knew about him. You see, Stephen was gay. And in low country South Carolina, unfortunately, that is something a good portion of the population would look down on you for. Bland said, quote, we think he was dumped there on the road. He was a very sharp kid. As a young gay man, he was cautious, and so he wouldn't have been walking down the road. He certainly knew the area. He had a cell phone, and he could have called somebody for help. Well, in the Netflix documentary, I heard that he did call someone for help. Oh my god. He called... I, th I heard that he called Buster. Wow. And I heard that him and Buster were reasonably close because Stephen was very smart and Buster would go for him for like tutoring and like help with like oh my God. studying and I they must have been close enough for him to call. I'm glad that you watched that because I did not have time to watch the whole I've watched like just a few scenes from yeah. just to get some information but I didn't do, none of it was about Stephen Smith. So I'm, you're, see, you're filling in the blanks. <laughs> well, like, I'm not sure if he actually went and picked him up. The documentary kind of led people to believe, like, that he did. And then, you know, you probably know that the Murdoch name kept coming up. Yes. So... I'm not sure what happened, but that was in the Netflix documentary. Just FYI. There was a theory. I gotcha. Of what happened. Anyway. 
so yeah, no, you're right. Corporal Duncan said that the Murdoch family name came up in the initial accident investigation, but it didn't go anywhere. He said, personally, I think there was just some type of pressure or just lack of investigation upon other agencies to do anything. But who knows? So they had closed the investigation and now they've reopened it. Because apparently they have some evidence. It was not even a month after Paul and Maggie were killed that they reopened the case. Oh my. Yeah, it was the same month in 2021 because they found something from investigating that case that led them to believe they needed to reopen the investigation. So what I heard on the Netflix documentary is that, so Stephen called Buster, who knows if they picked him up or not, who knows who was with Buster. People suspect that it might've been Paul, but Paul's girlfriend, I think her name was Morgan. Yes. Was very close with the Murdoch family and even brought up that there were rumors going around that their family was involved in the death of Stephen Smith. Oh, because they interview her in that documentary, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't do that in the HBO yes, one, which they, is the one that I watched. I thought that the Netflix documentary had a lot more information from the very close friends of Paul and mm. the girlfriend and everyone that was on the boat. Yeah. But... Morgan says she brought up like all these rumors that were swirling to the Murdoch family and she didn't specify who said this, but they said we would never kill that F. Oh God. And she said that was probably her first red flag that she ever recognized of that family. Holy shit. Yeah. Because you watched the Netflix one, please chime in anytime that you have any additional details because I did not watch that one. Sorry, I have failed you. No, you have done plenty research. (laughs) Stephen's mom, Sandy Smith, has been relentless. Like, she is kind of an amazing person. Like, I love her because she has been so supportive of Stephen from the very beginning as a gay person. She has never encouraged him to be different than what he is. And she wants answers. So, yeah, she's just... Seems like a really sweet lady. It's really sad. And Stephen had a twin sister who that can you? Oh yeah. It's got to be. I know it's it's got to be hard to lose a sibling, but to lose a twin sibling, yeah. it has got to be even harder. Oh man. And he was born in '96, which is the year my sister was born. And he wanted to be a doctor, and she's just finished her medical. Yeah, school I know stuff. Not medical school, but like medical field education and just thinking where he could be right now i know oh so sad so the oldest murdoch son buster like we just said he was the same age as steven and his twin sister you know they went to school together and would have known one another and apparently even spent time together whether it be tutoring or whatever And Buster Murdoch's name came up often in connection with the Stephen Smith case. A reporter said that he had read investigatory reports from Stephen's death back in 2015, and the Murdoch name is mentioned dozens of times. As multiple Murdoch cases have played out in the small community, rumors have spread. After news of Stephen Smith's death came out, 
some speculated that Buster Murdoch and Stephen Smith had some sort of relationship beyond just friends. I wish I knew more. Like, I want proof that they had some kind of relationship, like, other than just I know. tutoring. I want to know where that came from. Like, who Who's, saw something? Like, where did yes, that come from? Right. I mean, there were whispers around the town. Yeah. I just have not heard anything to support that that's true. So I'm just wondering, like, how that came out. Yeah. Um, I don't know, because in the HBO documentary, they just say that multiple people started saying it. Yeah. But, like, why were they saying it? We don't know. And at least in the Netflix one, they had mentioned that Stephen was helping Buster with school. But I don't know. Yeah. So, but the Smith family attorney, Michael Hemlep, actually admits that it's possible that there could be no truth to that. He says they graduated high school together, they had friends in common, and they didn't move in the same circles. But certainly, Buster and Steven had played ball together when they were younger, so you can't say there's no connection. Nobody knows. What I will say, I know of no evidence that would support any kind of relationship between Steven and Buster. What is known, though, is that guess what? Alec Murdoch and his brother Randy came to the scene of Smith's death, going oh, yeah. through the crime tape. Yeah. They, like, went through it. And nobody's really sure why they were there. Why were they there? I think in the Netflix documentary that they had volunteered to represent. Oh, of course. Yeah. I don't know if it was Sandy or the dad or whomever, must... but... okay. Because I have here that he called the family, but maybe he did that on the scene. I don't I'm know. not sure. But, like, he was getting in there because he needed to be involved in that. Maybe it's because he could gain something from that. Yeah, maybe because he could gain something, or maybe he's trying to protect his son, even though yeah, we will find out that he doesn't always do that either. So Yeah. But... His law firm actually said, so I had that Randy Murdoch had reached out to Sandy and whether it be on scene or through a phone call, I don't know, offering to help however he could, but his law firm disputed it. They put out a statement denying that it ever happened. That it ever happened like it was a homicide? No, that he ever offered to help them. Oh, oh. (laughs) Which is weird. I don't understand yeah, that's why. very weird. Yeah. They are it. not good people. Nope. Every, As we know. Almost every single one of them that we know of. <laughs> anyway, Stephen Smith's father died three months after his son. Um, oh, yeah, I heard about this. Yeah. So sad. Sandy Smith said that her ex-husband died of a broken heart. And then she also said that since the case has been reopened, there have been offers of a book deal and a Netflix movie. But all she's interested in is justice. Can you imagine how his sister must feel? Like, Mm -hmm. her brother and then her father. Oh my god. And the mom. In three months' time? Her son and then her husband. That is... It's awful. I mean, All that would happen from a book deal or a Netflix series or whatever is more attention to the case. 
Which but I know be a good thing. I mean, I know that that still could be very emotionally tough to do. But like, that's I think the that, thing that could help. Maybe people could. Well, it would put pressure on law yeah, enforcement. Exactly. So yeah, I think it could help for sure. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to move on to another story, and it's the story that almost every documentary and podcast starts with <laughs> for some reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they all start with it. Well, this is what set off a chain of events. It's That's true. That's it's true. what made all of these financial crimes come to light. Yeah. On February 24th, 2019, Paul Murdoch and five friends decided to take a trip out on the Murdoch's boat. The people that were present were Anthony Cook and his girlfriend Mallory Beach... Connor Cook and his girlfriend Miley Altman, and Paul Murdoch and his girlfriend Morgan Dowdy. Paul had used his older brother's ID to get some alcohol for the outing. In an image taken from a security camera video, Paul Murdoch appears to be celebrating that he was able to successfully purchase alcohol. He's like <laughs> walking towards the car in the boat with the cases of beer in his hand over his head. And I heard on, I think it was the Netflix documentary, that the reason they were taking the boat, they were going to like a like a crawfish boil or I forget what it's called. But it was like a party where yeah, they're going to be oyster, oyster shucking something, whatever you people do in South yeah. Carolina. But he had heard that there were going to be like checkpoints for like DUI checkpoints. So that's uh, why they decided to take the boat. Oh, my God. Yeah, you probably have more detail on this, too, because... They interviewed his girlfriend, too. Yeah, and I thought for sure that your drink of the night would be Natty Light funneled through a beer funnel. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I would never. what he did that night. <laughs> I would never. Could you imagine just taking beer funnel breaks? Oh, my God. <laughs> if we had a video podcast, we maybe we should do that. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. So seconds later, Paul can be seen loading the cooler in the boat. At around 6.30 p.m., the friends had gathered at the Murdoch family's river house. The group left by boat at around 7 p.m. They arrived at a house party and oyster roast on Pawkey Island, where they spent several hours. At around midnight, they left the party. When they got back on the boat, Paul insisted on driving in the boat to a bar in downtown Beaufort. GPS records pulled from the boat's device show the group tied the boat up at a dock around 12.45 a.m. Investigators say Paul and Connor went to a waterfront bar and ordered two rounds of shots. Connor later testified that he used a fake ID to get in and said Paul used his brother Buster's ID. Surveillance video captured the two while the rest of the group remained outside waiting for them to return. So just after 1 a.m., Paul and Connor rejoined their friends and headed back to where the boat was docked. By this point, Paul was allegedly intoxicated and acting like an idiot. As Anthony and Mallory made their way back to the boat, a cute moment was captured by surveillance cameras from the dock. Shows Mallory and Anthony smiling and possibly joking or something with each other. And it is one of the last images of Mallory alive. 
Yeah, they were in the honeymoon phase of their relationship. So this was like he was completely obsessed with her. Like, and she me, was I'm just so like sad. literally the sweetest person in the world. Yeah. That's what I've read. Yeah. At around 1.15 a.m., another camera angle captured the group boarding the boat and taking off. According to Miley, some of the group started arguing with Paul after he started driving in circles and acting drunk. Miley told investigators that Anthony asked Paul to let him out at a nearby dock, but Paul refused. Morgan would later testify that Paul kept leaving the wheel to fight with her, and she said Mallory said she was scared. Investigators would also later note that the onboard Garmin GPS showed that the speed of the boat increased. At about 2.20 a.m., the boat crashed into the Archer's Creek Bridge. Mallory was ejected from the boat into the dark water. Connor called 911 and begged for help. I have the 911 call, as well as some of the radio dispatch that I'm going to play. Okay. What bridge is Paul, what bridge is this? Nine one one, where's your emergency? Police fire, any of us? Hello? We're in a boat crash on Archer Street. Where, where about on Archer Street? In Archer Street, the only bridge on Archer Street. Archer Street? Archer's Creek. Archer's Creek. Uh, Archer's Creek. Is it What's going on? It's Bob Harris Island. Right. What? What's going on? We're we're in a boat crash. You know what? What kind of a? A boat crash. A a boat? Did you say a boat crash? A boat crash. All right. So you're at uh, are you at the dock? Hello. Are you are you at the dock? No. Just crashed in a boat. Okay, are you in the water or are you? We're, we're in the boat. Okay. We have someone missing. Okay. Okay. Hang on one second, okay? Call in reference to a disabled, I'm sorry, a boat crash. There's six people on board. They currently have one missing. All right, it's in Archer's Creek, which is right there off of Paris Island. There's a bridge on Paris Island. They're underneath it. They crashed into the bridge. Alpha 29, that's right. 29. 10 I'll be in around to the Bell Bridge. He also notified Port Royal and uh, the PMO uh, as well. Affirmative, we're making notification. Okay, do you have a description of that person? It's uh, one female. Uh, that's all the description I have of her right now. EMS 1, respond to an accident with injuries. 50 Marina Drive Boulevard on Paris Island. Repeating. It's going to be a change in that location. They're on Malacan Drive down right before you get to the traffic circle. County's on scene. Port Royal's on scene. Um, evidently, the girl was sitting on her boyfriend's lap when they hit the bridge at a high rate of speed, and now she's missing. Um, which, which bridge did they hit? The one on the call? Stand by, sir. Um, they hit the, the actual pass on the bridge, right? We don't know. 
Well, they're not. They just keep telling us they hit the bridge. Um, three ten got on scene. He said the fog is pretty thick. At first, he couldn't even find who they were. Find them. You can definitely tell he's drunk, <laughs> Connor, when he called. <laughs> oh, was it Connor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were kind of laughing a little bit because he's just like, he he just keeps saying the same thing in the same tone over yeah. and over again. He's not getting frustrated with him, but he just keeps saying the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> we're on a boat. We're on a boat. Um, a boat crash. A boat crash. <laughs> a boat crash. But I was going to say... That Paul was so drunk that he was being... Did you talk at all about his, like, alter ego? No. I forgot about that. I did yeah. not I did not include that. Apparently, Paul has this alter ego when he's drunk, and they call it Timmy. Timmy, I remember. <laughs> and he basically, like, his hands... It's so creepy. His hands, like, get really stiff, and his fingers go out, and... He just is like very belligerent. Yeah. Right. So when they get back on the boat after the bar and they're starting to drive, like everyone's fighting over the wheel. Well, Connor is trying to get the wheel from Paul because he's acting psycho and everyone's freaking out, like wanting him to like chill or let them out. And he apparently spits in his girlfriend's face, smacks her in the face and calls her a slut or a bitch and says something to the effect of, like, you know what's sad? Your dad can't even make enough money to support your family. And, like, she started crying at that point. But um, She should have been like, well, your dad steals from poor people. So Yes. <laughs> so just to put it into, like, context for everyone, Morgan is Paul's girlfriend, right? Yes. Mallory is Anthony's girlfriend, and Miley, Miley is Connor's girlfriend. And the three girls are best friends. Miley and Mallory were, like, best friends since preschool. Like, inseparable. And then they met Morgan later in life. That was all stuff I learned from the Netflix documentary. So okay. I interviewed them a great bit. But, yeah, just wanted to... Add that. Yeah. Well, Timmy will come out later <laughs> and I'll describe some of the shit Timmy did. <laughs> oh my God. So first responders immediately began searching for Mallory. The Beaufort County Deputy Sheriff, Stephen Domino, was one of the first responders to arrive. He said that when he arrived, he found Anthony distressed and pacing. He says he managed to calm Anthony down and asked him to sit in his patrol car. When Paul Murdoch walked up from the boat, Anthony grew agitated. Deputy Sheriff Domino said, quote, he actually tried to rush through me to get to Paul because I guess he saw him smiling and it just set him off again. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anthony told Deputy Sheriff Domino that he saw Paul driving the boat right before the crash. The passengers were transported to a hospital, except for Mallory's boyfriend, Anthony, who wanted to stay behind. Connor was treated for a broken jaw, and Morgan's hand was badly injured. According to hospital staff, Paul was extremely uncooperative. A charge nurse said in an interview that Paul, quote, had an attitude and was cocky, and that Paul was, quote, belligerent and security was requested. 
Paul's nurse was also interviewed, and she also did not have nice things to say about him. She said Paul Murdoch was only wearing boxers, and he was grossly intoxicated and belligerent. She also described Paul Murdoch as one of the most arrogant teenagers to come through the emergency room. Oh, my God. And she said that Paul kept saying, quote, y'all should be doing your jobs and looking for my friend. Wow. She watched Paul get out of the bed and disconnect the monitors at least three times. Oh, my God. Just Worst like patient all, ever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all over the place, like being an asshole. And unbelievably, or maybe it is believable, an ER tech said in an interview that Paul asked her if she would hold his penis and said her butt was nice. Oh, oh my God. I know. <laughs> what a creep. Ew. So yeah, there's Timmy for you. Awful. Medical staff drew Paul's blood several hours after the crash. His blood alcohol content was still 0.24, which oh. is three times over the legal limit. <laughs> well, you want to know what's disgraceful is that he wasn't pulled to the front of the cop car and interrogated for yeah. what had happened because uh-huh. he was, first of all, drunk driving. Second of all, underage drunk driving. Yes. Third, crashed and people were injured and missing. And he wasn't arrested before he was taken to the hospital. Right. At least detained. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or breathalyzed or. Or breathalyzed. Yeah. Like, the police knew. Knew his name. His name. They knew, knew his, his name. dad. They were buddy buddy. Yep. Yep. And guess what? Hospital staff also told investigators that they observed Paul's father, Alec, going from room to room, attempting to speak with the other survivors to tell them not to speak to law enforcement. Another security guard reported that he heard Alec say on a phone call, quote, she's gone, don't worry about her. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. (laughs) Oh my God. And I heard that... One of the parents, I think it was Anthony's mom. I don't remember which mom it was. It was one of the moms of the kids came and was talking to Rudolph Murdoch. Oh, yeah, because he was there, too. Yes, Mm -hmm. Rudolph III was there as well. Um, Alex's dad. Alex's dad. She was telling Rudolph. Does he go by Rudolph? Randolph. (laughs) Rudolph. God damn it. It's Randolph. (laughs) Rudolph. I just went with it. I was like, yeah, Rudolph. Randolph. So one of the moms was talking to them, talking to him like, I really hope they find Mallory. And he was like, who? And she's like, Mallory, the girl that's missing off the boat, their friend. And he was just like, oh, we all know how that's going to end. God damn it. And she was just like super appalled that he said that. So that's what you were talking about when you didn't think that he was maybe the good egg. Also, I will include another story. So... That's one reason. Another reason is Morgan and Paul, this was prior to this accident, had gone to a Christmas party and Paul was, again, belligerently drunk and Morgan decided she was going to be driving them home. But like in the middle of their drive, Paul was like, get out of the car. I'm driving. Oh, God. And so she did. And he at first was driving normal, but then he started acting crazy and they ended up like flipping the car. Holy shit. And getting into a car accident. 
and literally flipped the car into a ditch. Oh, my God. And they were fine. But Morgan ended up getting out and calling 911. And when Paul saw that she called 911, he took her phone, hung it up, and threw it into (gasps) the woods. And he ended up calling his dad and his grandfather. And they ended up coming. And Maggie ended up coming. And, like, cleaning out all the beer cans from the car, taking all the guns out of the car. Oh, my God. And towed the car away. And they didn't even care if they were okay. Like, they were like, oh, you're fine. Like, we just have to make sure no one knows about this. The car was expendable. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So That's insane. That's the kind of stuff the family was involved in. Yeah. To cover it up. Before this, yeah. this boat crash even happened. Investigators and volunteers using rescue boats, divers, and a helicopter spent eight days searching for Mallory Beach. On March 3rd, 2019, two volunteers found Mallory's body about five miles down the river from the crash scene. A month after the boat crash, Mallory's family filed a wrongful death suit against the members of the Murdoch family, allowing them to depose the survivors. On April 18th, 2019, on what would have been Mallory's 20th birthday, Paul Murdoch was indicted and charged with three felony counts of boating under the influence, including causing the death of Mallory Beach and seriously injuring two other passengers. Paul pleaded not guilty to all the charges and was out on bond awaiting trial. So I will just add yes, that please. the Murdochs, like we know Alec is solicitor or whatever of the county. Yeah. So he has that police badge. Right. And so that's how he ended up getting into the hospital and like talking to all these kids. Oh, and yeah. also how they ended up getting into the the scene of the accident. Whereas Mallory Beach's parents were never called by law enforcement at all to tell about her disappearance. It was other parents. Oh my God. Law enforcement didn't call them at once. All? Why? And they were not allowed to go to the scene of the accident. Yet, the mom would see Alec and his wife, Maggie, be yeah. able to go under the crime scene tape because they had a badge and yeah. they were the Murdochs. And, um, yeah, why was Maggie allowed? She didn't even work. <laughs> I know. And John Marvin was the one. John Marvin is a brother of Alec. Yes. He was able to tow the boat out of the river. Oh. Before they even like before they investigated. Took possess like they yeah. should have taken possession of it as evidence. Yes. And the yeah. family towed it away. Oh my god. Just like they did did the car when they got into that car accident. That's fucked up. That's fucked up, dude. So like I thought John Marvin was a nice guy before I knew about that, but he has always been like there to like help. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's everyone in their family, man. That's why I don't I don't think I don't think Buster's an exception. <laughs> There's no way Buster's an exception. That's just my opinion, okay? Yeah, well, he might be included, but maybe not from his own volition. Like he might have been like forced to be compliant. Yes. Yes. I don't know. I get the feeling. But he's an adult now, so he I mean. is an adult. I get the feeling that he is just. I don't know. He doesn't want to be involved, but he is. You know. Yeah. 
just based on the phone calls, the, yeah, just based on jail phone calls I've heard, just based on Mm -hmm. his demeanor. Well, yeah, the jail phone, traumatized. We'll talk about the jail phone calls, but yes, he, he definitely seems like he doesn't, he wants to keep an arm's length away. Yeah. For sure. So actually this year in January, 2023, a judge approved a settlement between the family of Mallory Beach and the estate of Maggie Murdoch. In 2021, Connor Cook also filed a lawsuit against Alec Murdoch. He claims that Alec had tried to frame him as the driver of the boat. True. I don't know if that's still pending or... I'm not sure, but I do recall that they... Alec was saying, like... He was trying... He was, he was the driver. Yes. Connor was driving the boat, right. not... Paul, right. And he was trying to like. He was saying that in the hospital rooms. Yeah, yeah. And he was trying to like perpetuate that narrative to everyone. Yeah. To get doubt playing in everyone's heads that it wasn't Paul. Oh my god! Which it, mm, just thinking ahead in the episode makes me so mad when he talks to police about the boat accident. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Mallory Beach's aunt says her niece loved animals, especially dogs. A nonprofit charity was created to honor her memory. It's called Mal's Pals. <laughs> yes, which is what I used to call you. Yeah. Mal this Pal. whole thing, like, it's really weird because if I ever get married to my boyfriend, my name will be Mallory Beach. I know. I thought about that. That's <laughs> yeah. crazy. And then Mal's Pals is just, like, so close to home because people call me Mal Pal. And you're, like, really good with animals and you used to work as a vet, which yeah. she wanted to be a vet or something. Well, I wasn't, yeah. Or not, you didn't used to work <laughs> I as wasn't a vet. A vet. <laughs> you were, like, a vet tech. Vet tech, yeah. Um, but she wanted to be a vet and... I know. And also you had mentioned to me when all of this was going down, like, listening to people talking about her, mm-hmm. the way they said her name. Oh, oh my God. It triggers me because of that. It's the same thing with my family in Texas and these people in South Carolina. They all pronounced Mallory as Mallory. Mallory. (laughs) Mallory. Mallory. (laughs) And it drove me freaking insane. Mallory. 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 My name is three syllables, not two. Mallory. Yeah. Anyway. Like diary. Diary. <laughs> so yeah, they're raising money to build a brand new animal shelter in Hampton County, South Carolina. Oh, she's so sweet. I know. It's a cute picture too. Paul, however, would never have his day in court. And that brings us to the story du jour. The hot news right now. Why was Alec Murdoch just on trial? I'm going to do a trigger warning here just because it's a little distressing to hear what I'm going to play you. On June 7th, 2021, a 911 call came in at 10.06 p.m. and Alec Murdoch was on the line. Forty-one, forty-seven, Moselle Road, and Allison. Sir, 
You said 
questions on for me, Mr. Murdoch? Yes. Okay. I don't want you to touch them at all, okay? I don't I don't know if you've already touched them, but I don't I don't want you to touch them just in case they can get any kind of evidence, okay? I I already touched them trying to get a um to see if they were breathing. Okay. Well, I, I just don't want you to move anything just in case they can get any kind of evidence, okay? Ma'am, I'm going to call. I, I need to call some of my family. Okay. Well, well, do me a favor for me. Whenever you see the officer or the medics, because they're, they're all coming to you. Absolutely. Okay. But we have them come in. Turn on the flashes on your vehicle so they can see you, okay? You got the flashes on for me? I do. Okay. All right. Just whenever you see them. Okay. How old is your son? 22. Okay. All right. We're, we're getting them out there to you, okay? And I will answer if you call. All right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of today's episode. (laughs) We will discuss this next time and all the stuff that happened after. So I guess we'll post that next week. Yes. So we will do it a week apart instead of our normal two weeks. So because I know this is hot news. Episodes in in a row. row. I know. Back to back. Oh my god. It's crazy. What are we doing? I think that deserves five stars. Yeah, I think it does too. (laughs) (laughs) So guys, if you would like to follow us and see images from this episode, please follow us on Instagram or on Facebook. We have a Facebook group where we post everything related to the episode and you can also just you know chit chat and have combos with each other yeah and uh and us yeah and us i think we're the only people that post (laughs) (laughs) but other than that just you know if you liked this episode leave us five stars on spotify write us a review if you have any constructive criticism you may email us at rabbitholehappyhour at gmail.com yes please Okay. All right, guys. We'll see you in a week for the rest of this saga. Bye-bye. Bye.